0: Just live every day a life of thanksgiving. That every day, all day, everywhere you go, you're saying, thank you, Lord. Bless your name. Praise the Lord. You're the Lord of my life. And I love you today, God. And I praise you and I thank you. Amen. Hey, if you'll live a life of thanksgiving, you'll find out that the spoilers won't hang around. Today's message from Harvest Church of God titled, Abound in Thanksgiving, Pastor Jerry Irwin preaches that gratitude and a life of thanksgiving is one of the essential guardians of your soul. And now, Lord, we've come to the time in this service when we open your word and we read its contents and we allow our hearts to hear with spirit ears what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. Lord, I know that you have a word for this church this morning. And I know that you have a purpose for our gathering here. And I know that you've already let your presence be felt in this place. And I ask you now, O Lord, to hallow this moment. May we truly encounter you in the Word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Some of my favorite scripture in all of the Bible. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. Have you got it? Got it. All right. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. We need to identify the writer. This is the Apostle Paul. He is writing one of his prison epistles to a a church at Laodicea and at Colossia. These are two churches that were established through the preaching and the efforts and the evangelistic efforts of Paul and his team of uh, people that sowed seeds of the gospel all over Asia Minor. He said, I would, writing to this church from prison, I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as a man have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches, somebody say riches, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid, somebody say hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this day, this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiment of the world, and not after Christ. If you could imagine this morning that you, your family, your life, your spiritual well-being were a city, and if you could imagine that that city was under siege by an enemy that wanted to destroy your city that you call your life, But inside that city, there were some sympathizers with the enemy and that would try to dissuade you from carrying on hope and faith and believing that you can outlast the siege. But you found out that there was a certain song that you could sing, a certain song that your enemy could not stand or tolerate nor bear, that every time your enemy heard that song, He would flee or withdraw or leave you alone. Would you want to know that song? If you knew that there were a song that would put the enemy to flight and would give you the comfort of knowing that God's grace is sufficient and that God's power is ultimate and that you could be contented trusting the Lord. Would Would you like to know that song? Would you like to know what that song is? Well, I'll tell you what that song is. It's a song of thanksgiving to God. It is a song of blessing unto God. The devil cannot stand for you to praise God. The devil will retreat and leave when you praise God. No wonder David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Thanksgiving is one of those weapons that you have that the devil cannot tolerate. He won't stay around when he hears that song. When you start singing that song, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. When you start singing that song, Lift your eyes upon Jesus, look right in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The devil, your enemy, your spoiler, cannot stand it when you praise and when you worship. Hey, would you like to kind of give him a blow this morning, but just take a minute and just clap your hands to the glory of the Lord and say, thank you, God, for all the things you do for me. Thank you for a Thanksgiving season that I can be reminded that I owe you my worship and I owe you my praise and I owe you my thanksgiving. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So now that you know the song, then I I want to charge you to employ that song often. In fact, the Bible said, enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Amen. You should come in the door thanking God, clapping your hands, and saying, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad to be at your house today. Come into his courts with praise and be thankful unto him and bless his name. Wow. We've got it right the opposite, haven't we? We do it the other way around. Amen. We ought to come in. Well, I ought to put the pulpit back there at the door, I guess. Because that's the first thing we ought to do when we come in is bless the Lord and be thankful to Him and bless His name. Paul is writing to this this church. Churches, as it were, because this word word was circulated uh, among among the churches all of them were to receive a copy and have it read in public assembly and every one of them knew about Paul's struggles Paul said I want you to know about my struggles I want you to know about the great conflict that I have in ministry for you I care about you I have the care of the church the care of all the saints and he said I want you to know the struggle that I go through, the conflict that I go through because I have this love for the church and love for our great God. Well, why do you want me to know about your struggles? And what are your struggles? Uh, Are you having a hard time getting anything to eat? No. Do you have a roof over yet? Yep, got a roof over my head. Well, you're not struggling for any of you. Do you want anything? No. Well, what are you struggling with then? What does a prisoner who is locked in a cement room with bars, what does he struggle with? What are you you struggling with? He's struggling with something that must be mental, something that must be emotional, something that must be stressful, something that must be a, a real burden for him because he said, I have not just conflict, I have great conflict for you. In other words, he's fighting a spiritual battle while he's locked up for being who he is and doing what he does and loving who he loves. In other words, his worship and his devotion costs him something. And he's struggling about it. And why is he saying that I'm struggling about this? What is the reason for my struggle? He said, that you may be encouraged. That you may be encouraged Yeah, he said, that you may be encouraged. My whole purpose, he says, for sharing with you the battle I fight and the struggle I have is to let you know that you should be encouraged. Praise God. Isn't it encouraging to know that there are people that are on the battlefield for the Lord? Isn't it encouraging today to know that the devil isn't getting his way about everything, that there are people that are out there winning the battle, fighting the battle, praying the prayers, enduring the conflict, enduring the hardness, and doing ministry in spite of all that they go through in order to do that? He said, I'm I'm writing uh, to inform you about the great conflict I have, the great struggle that I have, that you may be encouraged. Encouraged. But I want you to know, I want to report to you today, the devil is not winning. The devil is not winning. I'm here today to preach in this pulpit because the devil is not winning. He would like to have it to where I wouldn't be in this pulpit today. He would like to fix it so you're not sitting in that seat you're sitting in. He would like to fix it so these lights are not burning and these parking lot, is not full of cars today because he would like for the world to know that the church is out of business. He would like for the church to know that we have no, no message to preach and that we have no life to live and no influence. But I'm here to tell you the light has not gone out in Goshen. God is still God and he is still a powerful God. And the men and people of God are still preaching the word and living the life and praying the prayers. Hey, don't you let the devil sell you a bit of goods that the church is defeated and God's lost his power. No. Hey, God is still on the throne. He's still in charge. And he's still moving and doing and healing and blessing and saving because he's God and nobody can resist him. Hallelujah. His purpose and his plan will not be defeated. He is so given to his purpose that Jesus said, if you won't praise, if you won't have thanksgiving, if you won't worship, then these rocks and these mountains will start singing and praising God. The rocks will cry out. Well, the old song we used to sing is, I don't want a rock to cry out for me. I don't want a mountain full of granite to be the only thing that's uh, praising and worshiping God. God created people for a purpose. Uh, Jesus came into the world to redeem us for a purpose. And we have a message and we have a song to sing and we have a testimony to give and we have a witness to be influential. So I, my word is let's sing the song. Let's preach the word. Let's be who we're supposed to be. Let the church be the church. In good times, praise his name. In bad times, do the same. Hallelujah. Well, pastor, don't you believe a little bit less of what the Bible says is true because all that has happened? No. Well, isn't your faith kind of uh, diminished somewhat? No. You mean you'd answer what Job's wife asked? Do you still hold your integrity to God? Are you still sold out, totally committed? Are you still dedicated? Are you still preaching that message that God is sufficient? He's right for whatever's wrong. Are you still telling that? Yes. Yes, I'll preach that till I die. Hey, if I were the only one in this room this morning, I would preach just like I'm preaching right now. Amen. Because the devil is not winning. God is winning. And God has got all things under control. Bless his holy name. Hallelujah. We're not going under. We're going over. I said we're not going under. We're going over. And God has fixed it. Hey, when you see all these things come to pass, don't hide somewhere and stop singing the song and stop preaching the message. Hey, when you see these things come to pass, lift up your head and have a thanksgiving. Lift up your head and rejoice. Lift up your head and praise God and thank God. Why? Because all of these things must be. And when you see them, rejoice because your redemption draweth nigh. Praise God. Hey, that's what this is all about, is that day. I'm pressing toward that day. I'm pressing toward that mark when I will receive that invitation to come upward. That's what pressing toward the mark is about. And that's what serving God is about. So I'm preaching this message today to tell you this, that gratitude and a life of thanksgiving is one of the essential guardians of your soul. Amen. There have been a lot of difficulties in churches, but none of them came from a thankful person. If you're thankful and you've got gratitude and you've got a grateful heart, then brother, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit abides in you and the love of God abides in you and God dwelleth with you. Why? Because thanksgiving is such an expression of the soul. Amen. It's an expression of a soul that is so in love with Jesus, so in love with God, so in love with the work of God. It's that one thing that determines our relationship with Him is gratitude and gratefulness. Come before Him with singing and bless His name. Sing. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Gratitude. Be grateful unto God, thankful for all that He's done. You know what? Gratefulness dispels all of our complaining. When you're a grateful person, you're a thankful person. The Bible said, let us be content, having therefore food and raiment. Let us be content. Why do we have to have cars and lands and money to make us happy? Why do we have to have things? And if we don't have things, we get sad and blue when you've got the riches of His grace, when you've got the treasure that is hidden in God and His Christ. I preached last Sunday about those riches. Do you remember? He was rich, yet for your sakes He became that ye through His poverty might be made rich. So Jesus then, as we preached last Sunday came into this world and became a pauper. Why? So that he could swap places with you. So that you could be rich. He was rich, but he became poor so that you could be rich. Now that's the kind of love that survives all things. That's the kind of love that endures all things. That's the kind of love that is kind. That's the kind of love that wishes no man iniquity or harm. That's the kind of love. And listen to what Paul is saying here about these struggles, that your heart may be encouraged. And then he put on display a love that sacrificed. He says, I love you so much, and I want you to know I love you, and I love the Lord because I have to make a sacrifice because of my love. Now, the difference here is the two kinds of love that we're going to demonstrate to you today. I want you to know how greatly I strive for you and for those at Laodicea. They've not even seen my face. Don't even know me if they walked up in the street and saw me. But we know from 1 John 4, 10 and and 18 that Paul is in prison when he writes this. So striving, he's referring to his tremendous struggles in prayer, tremendous struggles in, in, in spiritual warfare. And he's probably writing this so that some preachers, see, he left Tychicus and he left Onesimus over at the church there in Colossae. And he said for them to carry on the ministry, what he was letting those preachers know is this is not a bed of roses. You may be arrested and you may be put in prison. You may even lose your life like I'm about to do, Paul said. But Paul had such a thanksgiving spirit that he said, none of those things move me. I'm not afraid of Nero's chop block. I'm not afraid of Nero's knife. I'm not afraid of all the things that strong, conquering Roman government can do to me for being a preacher. He said, I'm not afraid of those things don't move me. In fact, Amy, one of the prophets, prophesied over him and said, this man that is in our midst right now, I'm holding his garment And said, that man that owns this garment is going to be horribly beaten and even his life endangered when he gets to Jerusalem. You know what Paul did? He took that piece of garment and he said to Agabus, the prophet, he said, Agabus, I'm sure the Holy Ghost is telling you to tell me that. But there's something that you and everybody in this room needs to know. I am willing not only to be bound, but also to die. Pastor, you've got to be kidding. You can believe in something so much that you would die for it? Polycarp, the bishop, when he was burned at the stake, they said, Why don't you curse him and we'll take away the fire? You don't have to die like this. He said, All these years I've served him. He's always cared for me. I'll not defect. I'll not fail him now. Wow. You mean you can be so determined to serve the Lord, love the Lord, do the work of the Lord, that even in when faced with physical harm or death, you would still say, God is good? God is good. Paul is saying to these young pastors of the church, he just gave them. He's saying, listen to me, Onesimus. Listen to me, Tychicus. This is not the kind of love that just is flimsy and it's just a ooey-gooey feeling. This is the kind of love that you die for. The kind of love that you die for. And listen to this verbiage here that he does. He, how, he does this work. He says it works like this. It's a knitting together. Do you see that scripture up there? Have you been able to get it up for me? A knitting together. Knitting together. That their hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in love. I think he means as their hearts are knit together with the heart and with each other's heart. I believe that he literally is taking a needle of grace and putting in it a thread of love, and he's taking pieces, and like a quilt, he's piecing those things together with that needle and that thread of love. That your hearts are knit together in love. Comforted, encouraged, being knit together in love. Knit together in love. Now, When the Bible in the New Testament talks about love, it talks about a different kind of love. Now, if you're a student of uh, Greek literature, there is a word that they use for love because the Greeks are all about friendship. If you'll read uh, Dante and Socrates and all of these uh, people of prose and people of uh, literature, Greek literature, you'll find the word phileo used over and over. And it's a word that means a fond affection for. It literally means friends. It literally means friendly love. So what the Bible does in the New Testament, they move to a rather obscure word that is very seldom ever used in Greek literature. And when you get to the biblical literature and you study its pages, it is... Uh, put in a, a Greek that is called Koine Greek. It's the common Greek of the common people. Koine means common, common Greek, or the spoken Greek of the people of, of the time of Christ. Now, that word that is used for love in Scripture is a different word than the word phileo. Phileo means a fond affection for, and it is a, a like. You like somebody because they give you pleasure. You get some kind of pleasure from that person. And if that pleasure is not there, then you tend not to be friendly with that person. In other words, you like people that like you. You like people that have things in common with you. You like people who kind of go to the places, sing the songs, dress, talk, act like you do. So you've got to find pleasure in people that like the same likes that you do and you share those things in common. That's called congregational love. Because that's the way most of us love one another. We love to sing the same songs. We love to uh, go through the same things. We have that kind of congregational love for one another. It's mostly your friends with people who are like you. And mostly you don't care for people who are not like you. And you might as well say amen because I know you. Amen. So when he's talking about congregational life and congregational love, he's talking about what the Greeks call phileo love or that friendly kind of love. Uh, Some of you are Auburn fans and you tend to like Auburn fans and don't care for Alabama fans. Some of you are Alabama fans. Don said at his house, he sits on one side of the living room. Mickey sits on the other side of the living room. And they draw a line down the middle of the room. And they say, you stay on your side. And if one of them gets real loud, the other one will say, ah, oh, shut up. Now, hopefully they've got that other kind of love that I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. But that's the kind that most people have is that friendly kind of love. You like people who share interests with you. That's right. You like the the folks that like the things that you like. Amen. And that's, honey, is just the way it is. When writing the Bible, he says to them that there is another kind of love because he gives us a verse that tells us about the love, the unfeigned love that we have. Put it back up there for me, sweetie. I'm not through with it. That unfeigned love, knitting our hearts together in love and knowing that that love is is, is there in congregational life. And he says, together in love and unto all the riches of the full assurance of love to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of his Christ. In other words, along with this love that we have that we're knit together, sewn together with that needle of grace and the thread of love, that takes all the patches and makes a quilt out of them. I wonder what our quilt would look like if we sewed together all of these pieces. I wonder what that quilt would look like. I wonder if it'd have any pattern at all. Or would it just be kind of mangled up and going ever which way? I kind of believe it would. But he said there's something that happens when you start loving like that in a church. There is an understanding. Somebody say an understanding. There's an understanding that goes along with loving. Amen. There is something you come to know as you love that person more and more. And he's talking about phileo here, this, this friendly love that we have. And, uh, and, and the further you go with that, the longer you go with that, the more you learn. I wish I had known many years ago what I know today about loving Jesus. I wish I could have known back then the mature love now that I had in the beginning. I wish I would have loved him like that in those days, that I've learned over the years to know more about him. As I know more about him, I love him more. The more I know about him, and the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows Each day is like heaven. My heart overflows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Each day I love him more. To know him and to serve him and to be with him and for him to be in me and I in him is to love him more and worship him more. I wish I had known him in the way I know him now when I was younger. There's a verse that's very similar to that in 1 Peter 1 and 22. It says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Now he's saying to them, and he uses the word phileo here when he talks about the unfeigned love. Know what the word unfeigned means? It means genuine. Well, my blessed God, if anybody's going to love me, I hope they're genuine. Because if they're just telling me they love me, but they don't. If they're just lip lip service and saying, I love you, brother. But they don't really mean that. Don't ever ask them to prove that love. Because you might be disappointed because their love is just uh, so many words. But he says, unfeigned love is genuine love. And who did he say did that? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at the verse. That you've obeyed through the truth, not a lie, but you've obeyed the truth, and your souls have been what? Purified, washed, cleansed, made clean. Somebody say praise God. You have been purified in your souls by obeying the truth. You mean there's a cleansing that comes to us through obedience, that by our actions and our behavior? we can cleanse ourselves. Anybody learn anything this morning? That by obedience to the truth, we have purified our souls. And the Holy Spirit does that through the Spirit, by means of the Spirit, with the energy of the Spirit, with the guidance of the Spirit, unto unfeigned love. In other words, the Holy Ghost helps you to love genuinely. Wow. Well, He's not just a comforter, is He? He's a teacher. He will lead you and guide you into all the truth. He's the divine Paracletos that comes alongside you and stands beside you. Glory to God. And now you've found out He, through the Spirit, He creates unfeigned love of the brethren. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to create a culture of love amongst brethren and sistering. Let's don't leave them out. It been a terrible mess if we left sistering out of that purifying, wouldn't we? So he's talking to all the church and that the Holy Ghost has as one of his goals at harvest to make every one of us love one another genuinely. Now, that's not me. That's the Word of God. It's on the wall. Somebody told me the other day, Brother Jerry, I don't rock them old off-the-wall songs y'all sing. Well, you probably don't like the -the off-the-wall preaching I do either because that one right there tells you the purified soul got that way by obeying the truth and the Spirit led them into the truth and the Spirit then created something that accompanies the purification and the process of getting in right standing with God. In that process, the Holy Spirit creates an unfeigned, which is genuine, unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another. Well, why is he telling me to love one another? We're already doing that. Isn't that what it says? He said when we got in right standing with God, The Holy Spirit created an unfeigned love for the brother, And now he's telling us see that you love one another. Why are you telling me to love one another again? You just told me that in the same verse. Peter, why are you telling me again to love one another? You just told me that loving one another was created by the Holy Spirit. Notice what word is used for that kind of love. That unfeigned love, genuine love, it's that simple love that doesn't require a sacrifice. It's the phileo love. And now, when he uses love again in that same verse, he uses another word. He doesn't use the phileo word. He doesn't use the friendly word. He uses the love for God where the Bible said, God is love. What word did it use? It used the word agapeo, A-G-A-P-E-O, agapeo. That says that there is an element that recognizes the preciousness of the object that is loved. Whew. So you can be friendly with somebody that you don't really think they're special. You can be kind and fond of someone that you're not really going to say they're precious. Now, Faye says that all the time. She'll say, you're so precious. Oh, you're so precious. Well, that's what the real agapeo means. It means that you, you have such value attached to the object that you love That you would do anything, you would sacrifice, you would give of yourself for that thing that you love to be blessed and helped. God is a blesser. God is a helper. So when you say God is love, you say God is agapeo. He is one that thought that souls were so precious that he sent his son to die on a cross so that the world could be saved. He is a God who thinks the church is so precious that he purchased it with his own blood. He is a God who thinks the word of God is so precious that men have spilled their blood and martyrs have died and people have lived and people have preached so that that word could be blessed and heard by all peoples of every land and every nation. God is an agapeo-loving kind of God. It's a sacrificing kind of God, a God that estimates the value of the object love to be beyond measure. So he's saying, yes, you already have the friendly love, so I'm asking you to go on to maturity and let the Holy Spirit guide you into a love that sacrifices because it values the object loved so much. I'm about to shout my shoe heels off to think that God thought you were so special, to think that God agapeo you. I hear parents say sometimes, Brother Jerry, I love my children so much I'd give my life for any one of them today. Well, then you need to say you agapeo them. Because that's the kind of love that esteems the object loved so much that you would do anything for that one that you love. And he's saying it's good that you've got unfeigned love, it's genuine. It's good that you like one another. But he's saying, I'm asking you to love one another with a pure heart and don't do it lukewarm. Do it hot. Love big. Wow, praise God. That means Thanksgiving is about loving big. It's about loving big. Let's go on, and I'll close in just a minute, I promise that loving big and loving the way God wants you to love, he exhorts saints that are already loving each other with a friendly love which is called out of their hearts because they find pleasure in each other's fellowship to love each other also with a self-sacrificial love because of the preciousness of the saint who is loved as precious to God as Christ is precious to him. Do you believe Jesus is precious to God? Well, then he's saying in this verse that you are as precious to God as Jesus is precious to God. In fact, he even said, in the day that I make up my jewels, they shall be mine. Let me ask you, when a thief comes to break in your house, Randy, the Bible said that Jesus was coming as a thief in the night. Does the thief come and break in your house to get your garbage? Does a thief come to your house to steal your dirty laundry? What does a thief come to your house to get? Why does he break in? What's the home invasion all about? To get the most precious thing you got. And usually he'll go to your jewelry box. If Jesus is coming like a thief in the night, he's coming to get the most precious thing this world has got. He's coming to get the most precious thing in the eyes of our great God. He's coming to get the most precious thing that Jesus died for. He's coming to get the most precious thing that this whole wide world can afford, and that's the people of God. In that day that I make up my jewels, in that day that I come back, You call it the rapture, but he said, I I call it that day when I gather my jewels. They shall be mine, he said. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a thanksgiving praise. 1 John 4 and 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth God is born of God and knoweth God. What kind of words you think he used for that kind of love? You're right, agapeo. God has given to us a means of protection against those that would try to steal our faith and steal our hope. In verse 4 shows that what is behind this special concern that Paul has to encourage these people. He, say that, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you or deceive you or spoil you. Spoiled is the word that's in the King James, lest any man should beguile you. This is the New King James Version here. Beguile you. The NIV probably that you've got in your lap says spoil you. Spoil you. Spoil means to dilute you. It means to corrupt and water down. And he says this, so his immediate concern for this church is to guard these believers from delusion. Someone is trying to mislead them. So how does Paul seek to guard them? Now, false doctrine and false—we call it heresy—was abundant in the first century church, and there were many that believed in polytheism. There were many that mixed the pagan religions with the gospel of Jesus. There were others that that tried to mix other things about the Jewish faith and the Hebraism into uh, Christianity. And Paul took a strong stand for the gospel of the Lord Jesus because he believed you were saved by obeying the truth. He believed that the gospel as it is in Jesus was the one true gospel and should not be spoiled and should not be diluted or corrupted in any way. In fact, the revelator John said, if any man added to or any man took away, He would be destroyed in that lake that burns. So we're we're given strict admonishment that the Word of God is not to be polluted and it's not to be corrupted and it's not to be spoiled. I want to ask you something. Were you begotten by the gospel of the Lord Jesus? Then don't let anybody spoil you, don't let anybody dilute that. Don't let anybody come in with enticing words and deceit and appeals to your flesh to pull you away from the gospel that you obeyed from the heart, that you heard with these ears and you obeyed from the heart, that gospel, and received the Lord Jesus. Don't let anybody spoil you or pull that away. And he tells us there's a a good way to do that. He tells them of the tremendous struggles. And number two, he tells us that they'll knit our hearts together in love. Thirdly, he says a deep and fully assured understanding of God and that out of this love and understanding would emerge a strong encouragement and that this encouragement would be a power that guards you from the delusion of beguiling speech. Sacrificial struggle leads to love and love leads to assured understanding of God. Assured understanding leads to a strong encouragement and encouragement guards from delusion. What are you saying, Pastor? He's taking us on a chain link thing right through here. And he gets down here and he tells us that that weapon of thanksgiving is so important. Peter said, seeing then, that little verse that I quoted from Peter, he said, seeing then that you you have this thing, he said, let thanksgiving abide in you. Let thanksgiving dwell in you richly. Let thanksgiving be a part of your life, and that will help you not to be moved from your position of grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. There is no work that you can do to get saved. There's no place you can put your name in charitable organizations. You can never give enough to earn salvation. It's not earned and it's not worked out. That's works righteousness and it doesn't work. There's only one way you can be saved and that's grace through faith. Hallelujah. Believing that what Jesus did at Calvary's cross purchased for you redemption, salvation, and freedom from sin. Washed in the blood of that cross that sacrifice that was nailed to that cross, don't ever let anybody pull you away from what happened at that cross and its sufficiency to purchase your pardon and buy your redemption. Don't ever let anybody pull you away from that. And he says, a sure way, a sure way of putting up a defense against falling prey to someone that would pull you away from that is to live a life of constant thanksgiving and that one that would like to pull you away and beguile you and spoil you won't hang around long when you start saying thank you Lord for saving my soul thank you Lord for making me whole Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so full and free. When you start st- singing that, and you start letting that anthem ring out, just sing it over and over. Just live every day a life of thanksgiving that everybody around you hears you singing. That every person you work with knows you sing that song. That that next door neighbor of yours knows that you sing that song. That person that takes your money for gas down at the convenience store knows that you sing that song. That every day, all day, everywhere you go, you're saying, Thank you, Lord. Bless your name. Praise the Lord. You're the Lord of my life, and I love you today, God, and I praise you and I thank you. Amen. Hey, if you'll live a life of thanksgiving, you'll find out that the spoilers won't hang around. Won't hang around on guard against the deceit and all those wiles of the devil. First, they were taught the truth of Christ. Second, they received Him and loved one another. Third, they became rooted and built up and established in Him. Fourth, they're to live a certain way. Verse 6 says it. So live in Him. And that way of life is defined at the end of the verse, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I've already told you what abounding means, and I'll close. There's several more pages, but I'll close. What does abound mean? More than enough. That's exactly right. To abound means more than is necessary. Where sin did abound, much more than is necessary. Did much more abound. Grace did much more abound. Superabounding grace, superabounding richness. And if you want to know God more, you want your relationship to grow in God. He said you can do that through one thing, that's loving people. Loving people. Loving people. It's easy to love people that love the things you love. It's hard to love people that don't love the things you love. If God was like us, he would never have sent his son. If God was like us, he would have never offered salvation free to everyone. Thanks be to God. God loves with a love that is not like us. But he says, I want you to love like I love. I want you to love like that. Is there anyone here today that would say, God, I want to grow into that, that I can love like you love? God, I'd like to get to that place that I love people, not because they love me back. And I didn't love them because they gave me pleasure and that I enjoyed their fellowship and enjoyed their company, but I just loved them because they couldn't do anything for me and couldn't help me in any way, but I love them. And I want you to help me to learn how to love like that, God. Help me to learn to love like that. I was riding down the road one day, an obscure back road, and a, a lady, I was walking along, she was picking up cans and putting in her, in her bag, and uh, I was riding with another pastor. He pulled her over on the side of the road, I said, what's the matter? He said, I got to do something. Got out of the car and he walked back there to that lady and Amy, she took her stick and she raised her stick up and she said, don't you come near me, I'll bash your brains out. He said, oh, I don't want to do you harm, ma'am. Had a $20 bill. He said, I'll lay it here by one of your cans here and you can get it. I just wanted to let you know that somebody loves you and somebody cares about you. Somebody loves you and somebody cares about you. Amen. And you know what? I've, I've done that several times myself. Amen. People have learned around here at the church, if anybody comes by wanting money, don't let them get to pastor. They, they, they redirect them every way in the world because, you know, so don't you know people will cheat you, do and you, they take advantage of you. That's on their end. I said, that's on their end. That ain't on my end. On my end, I'm trying to get to that, that place, that love place, you know, where I can love like God loves. I'm trying to get to that place that, that uh, a, a person's nationality or a person's uh, race or whatever, that don't mean anything to me. Amen. I, I thank God that doesn't mean anything to me. It shouldn't mean anything to you. And it should help us to know that we should love everybody at all times. Everybody. No matter what their condition in life, whatever, we should love at all times. Stand with me, please. Greatest thing that happens at church is about to happen. What? I said the greatest thing that happens at church is about to happen. What is that, pastor? The time when you walk out those doors to be the light and salt that God wants you to be. When you walk out those doors, to do what you heard here, and you put that into practice out there where the rubber meets the road. Amen? You remember that old commercial about Armstrong tires, was it? And it had a hand, and it would go, and it'd say, where the rubber meets the road. Brother, where the rubber meets the road is where we live out the practicality of who we are in Christ. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you today for the opportunity of worship. Thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to come today to your house. Thank you for your word that goes forth with power. And I ask you to touch people as we now go out these doors to be light and salt in the earth. Touch these people, O oh God, and then do them with the Holy Spirit to have that unfeigned love and to employ thanksgiving as a weapon against those that would spoil us and pull us away from what we believe in Christ. Give all of these people a happy and a safe Thanksgiving and a wonderful time of celebrating the goodness of God around the Thanksgiving table in Jesus' name. Amen.